Tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter, so if you've got your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter. Uh, we're just going to look at one verse. There are no points. Um, we're just going to walk through this verse, and I'm going to explain this verse to you. I taught through 1 Peter uh, in a life group that I teach uh, a couple of, probably a couple years ago, and this passage is one that I know. It's one that I memorized years ago, um, but it kind of stuck with me, and I think it's very important for us today to kind of think through that. Because if you understand what's going on here in 1 Peter, he's writing to a people who have literally watched their friends be drug away and killed because of their faith. He's writing to a group of people that say, hey, suffering is to be expected. Persecution is to be expected. You should understand that if your neighbor stands up for what's right, that they're probably going to be killed or ridiculed or run out of town, and that's okay because what we believe in and what we're doing and telling people about God is so important that if some people lose their life for it, that's, a big, that's okay. We, we don't live in a world like that. If we watched one of our friends do what was right and they were murdered for it and everybody just went about their business, we would be like, well, hold on. That's not normal. That shouldn't happen. A lot of the persecution that goes to that extreme, we don't see, but we do see persecution. Especially in this culture these days, if you stand up for what is right, if you stand up for truth, if you stand up to say, this is what the Word of God says, there's a lot of people that are going to say, then we're not going to listen to you anymore because you're not allowing everybody to be themselves. Or you're not accepting of everyone. And I'm not demeaning people who have a different lifestyle than us, and we're going to talk about that. But I think we do have to apply this passage to us and say, what does it look like for us in how we live in a world where things people are not standing up and go, yay, rah, you believe in the Bible. I don't know if you've had that happen lately, but it's not common for somebody to walk it up and say, hey, man, good job coming to church. Right? Maybe some people here, but you leave this place that's usually not an accepted thing and it's a celebrated thing, right? And many times it's, hey, why would you do that? And so here in 1 Peter chapter 3, we've got a good word that I want us to look at. And we're going to read, we're going to talk through verse 15, but if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read, um, let's start here in verse 13 and read through 16. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. This is the verse we're going to, you see on the screen, this is the verse we're going to talk about tonight. But in your heart, set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. All right, so let's just kind of walk through this passage and let's just kind of break it apart. The first phrase here, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. My version here, different NIV, I guess, says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. This is saying that in your heart, not don't just do the right things, but in your heart, I want you to realize that Christ is your Lord. What's the word Lord mean? Somebody tell me. Good, you're awake. All right, go ahead. What's it mean? Almighty, what else? Master, good, what else? What's the word Lord mean? Lord, 
Yeah, a person who is over somebody. I always use this. It's like a boss. The Lord is your boss. He's your master. He's the one in charge, right? And so what it's saying here is set apart Christ as Lord. You've got to remember that Jesus Christ gets to dictate your actions. You've got to remember what it was like when you accepted Christ for the first time and you humbled yourself and you said, you know what, the way I choose to do life is going to leave me wanting a little bit. The route I'm running is not going to get me to the finish line of the person that created me. If I were teaching in fourth and fifth grade, right, we talk about like you were created for a purpose. Just like in Legos, there is an instruction manual for how you're going to get that big, huge Lego thing done, right? And you cannot look at the instructions and just build stuff. And the odds of you ever getting every piece exactly where it goes are pretty much never going to happen. But if you look at the picture and you read the instructions, all of a sudden you begin to turn out the way that you were created. If we lean on God, if we look at His Word, all of a sudden we begin to see, wow, this is what I'm supposed to be like. And Peter is saying, you've got to remember that time that you put Christ as Lord of your life. He's the boss. And so you're looking around and you're going, people are dying. Things are not going well. And he's like, but hold on a second. Who's the boss? You're not the boss. You don't get to say things didn't go the way I want to. And so we've got to remember that he's the Lord of our life. He's the one we're trying to please. He's the one that has control. In the Old Testament, it says, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so he's saying, you've got to remember That it's not just about doing the right things. It's not about getting away from these people who are persecuting you. It's not about you avoiding suffering in your life. You go to school, and many times it's just, it's the way I lived in high school, and I missed it. There's more lost people I was around in high school than any other time of my life, and I missed it because you know what I did? I went to church on Wednesday nights, and I went to school on Thursday, and I hung my head, and I just did my thing. Not all the time, but a lot of time it was just easier not to have that confrontation. A lot of time, it was easier not to explain to somebody why I went to church because I just wanted to play football. I just wanted to be in the crowd. I just wanted to do my thing. And he's going, you've got to remember who is Lord, not just in your action, but in your heart. Look at this next phrase. But in your hearts, revere Christ's Lord. Always be prepared. How many of you were Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts growing up? Anybody. I've got like four. All right. So if we're in trouble, if something bad happens, here's the people that start a fire, right? Does anybody know the Boy Scout motto? Y'all weren't real Boy Scouts. You just lied. Y'all went, it's like Weeblows, right? Weeblows was right after Cub Scouts. Does anybody know? Cub Scouts, Weeblows. All right, good. I don't know if y'all are laughing or not. I can't see you, so that's fine. Uh, Does anybody know the motto for Boy Scouts? Be prepared. It's like three fingers, right? It's be prepared, right? Or something like that. Maybe that was, um, what's that, Hunger Games? I don't know. All right, be prepared. Boy Scouts were like, be prepared. And so what that meant is you have to expect that things are going to happen. So you've got to know how to do all of these different things. And Boy Scouts, they teach you how to put up a tent, how to build a fire, how to do all these things. You're being prepared. Here's the deal. I hate being scared. I don't like to be scared. If you walk up behind me and you scare me, I will be honest. My boys will tell you this. I will kind of punch. That's just my response, right? I hope that you're not real close to me, but that's just kind of, it's it's fight or flight, right? And so I'm going to fight. But here's the deal. If I go to a haunted house, which I would never do, but if I did, and they scared me and I punched them, what do you think they're going to do? They're probably going to sue me, right? Yeah. They're going to be like, dude, you're an idiot. 
you're at a haunted house, of course we're going to scare you, right? You expect to be scared at a haunted house. Some of you are like, I want to be scared. I think that's really fun. And you have problems, and that's okay. All right? But if you go to a haunted house, you expect to be scared. In the same way as Christians, we should be prepared that when we go out into the world where Satan is in charge, that we should expect we're going to have some opposition. Wyatt's my middle son. He was in the back seat of the car when we went to the, um, what's that, Safari Park. How many of you have ever been to the Safari Park? If you haven't been, you've seen a billboard for them, right? They're everywhere, right? And so Wyatt is, I don't remember how old you were, Wyatt, but you were holding this bucket of food. Do you remember this? In the back seat of the car. And they have it, Safari Park, I don't think they have insurance or anything because this is not very smart. But they tell you, take a bucket of food, set it in your lap, and roll your windows down, and the animals will eat it. Ostriches are extremely violent birds, right? They should be shot. But you take this food and you set it in your lap or you kind of hold it at the window. Well, Wyatt holds it up. The ostrich pecks at it, knocks it out of his hand. And the ostrich says, awesome buffet, and just goes to town jamming at the the food all in Wyatt's lap, on his arms, biting whatever he could. Wyatt starts screaming. I'm like driving away, rolling the wind. Y'all been there, right? Okay, here's the deal. We didn't expect that. I really thought the ostrich would walk up and say, good afternoon, Stevenson family. Thank you for coming to the safari park. I would like some birdseed now, right? And stick his head in and politely, it would be cute. We get to pet him, right? That's not what happened. We didn't expect that. We joke and we laugh about these stories, but how many times do we walk out as Christians and we're surprised when people put us down for our faith? Or we go out and we make a decision to do what is we think is right, and they say, how dare you? Or we go on a mission trip, we spend money to go on a mission trip, and they're like, you're crazy. And we're surprised by that. Peter's telling them here, he's saying, hey, always be prepared. In other words, remember where you are and realize that there are going to be times that the world is not going to like the way you think. You're going to get on social media. You're going to have these fears throughout your life and people are going to look down on you. People are going to persecute you. People are going to make it hard for you to live out your faith. It's okay if you're prepared for that. If you know that's what I'm about. I'm about living out my faith and realizing in doing that, sometimes it's going to be difficult. Let's look, keep looking. It says, but in your heart, set apart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to what? What does it say? To give an answer to everyone who asks, asks you. Now, this answer is not a defending of your, of your faith. It's not a defending of your position. All right, apologetics, we talk about that. Apologetics um, is that defending of your faith. We're not talking about that. Here's the deal. The faith doesn't need defending. You don't need to defend why you believe something, right? You simply are giving an answer, we're going to talk about it in a second, for the hope that you have. You are stating truth. This is what I do. You are stating truth that this is who God is. Whether you believe it or not, it is true. Now, we can debate that if you want to, but that's not the point here. He's saying, I want you to give an answer. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We must understand and we must trust the gospel to be strong and stand in that. Just like as Fair said earlier, 
That when we know who God is and we have this picture of a big God, then all of a sudden, death loses its sting. All of a sudden, when you're not accepted into the in crowd and this uh, pleasing men is not a big deal anymore. That when we understand that God is bigger than all the problems we have, it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it means, as Peter's saying here, we can walk through suffering, we can walk through hard times and go, okay, that was difficult, how am I going to respond to that? And we begin to see that it's my job to give my answer and not shy away from that, but to stand up. We desperately need some high school students. We desperately need some college students to stand up for their faith. Stand up for what is true and always be prepared to give an answer. That when you see something, to not walk away from that. When I used to, I used to mow yards when I was in middle school and high school. That's kind of how I made money. And I love doing it. I'm a little OCD, so it kind of scratched that itch of knowing that I could literally cut every blade of grass perfectly flat, look back and go, I did that, right? But here's the thing. I also, you won't believe this as much for those of you that know me, but I was a little bit um, shy around people. I didn't really like to go in front of people and talk, and I was always a little embarrassed that maybe I didn't measure up. And so when I would have to finish the mowing the grass, many of you have done this before, you know what you got to do. You got to go what? You got to knock on the door and say, hey, I finished mowing your grass. And there's this moment where they walk out, and they're about to give me the money, and they're, what are they doing? They're looking at the grass. And I had a couple of guys, they were a little harder to deal with than others. And they're kind of looking, and they're trying to find an area where I messed up. And I remember always feeling right? You can mow grass, right? There's that feeling of going, is this going to be acceptable? Are they going to find somewhere I messed up? Did I cut too hard into the edging and it, they don't like it and they're not going to give me all... Like your mind just runs through all these things, right? But I can remember when I first started mowing, my dad would walk to the door with me. And I can remember knocking on the door, you know, hey, I'm done mowing the yard. And my dad's standing behind me and I didn't have the fear. Because my dad was there, which means, in other words, my dad has, is sitting there saying, hey, I'm vouching for him. We've done a good job. And they would look and see my dad. Oh, if, if he says it's good too, I'll give you your money. In the same way, when we have a view of who God is and we understand who God is, when somebody says, can you give me an answer for the hope you have? We go, I got God here. Let me tell you why I go to church. Let me tell you why I believe the Bible. Let me tell you why I give 10% of my money to the church. Let me tell you why I spend my time the way I do and I wake up early to read the Bible. Let me tell you the answer for the hope that I have because I've got God on my side. And so I'm not going to shy away from that. Let's look at what it says here. Uh, everyone to give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Here's the deal. People should notice that we're different. Now, it's hard. We don't necessarily all cut our hair like I do, the easy and cool way, right? Some of you still think that having long hair is a good thing. I'm just telling you, this is the hairdo. It's, it's, it works. I save a lot of money on haircuts. I'm just kidding. I'm not talking about haircuts, right? People should notice we're different, not necessarily by the way we look, but by the way we act, by the way we talk to people, by the way we respond to situations, by the way we walk through, even sometimes the way we walk through trials and struggles, we have to realize that we shouldn't be scared of the same things the world is scared of. Isaiah 8 says, Do not call conspiracy everything this 
these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear or dread what they dread. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one to fear. There's something different about us. There's something different about every one of you. Even in the church, we give into this, right? The hope that we have, we end up start comparing ourselves to each other. Oh, that person's a better Christian than me. Oh, that person has it easier in life than I do. And we begin, we forget that the hope we have is not in our success. The hope we have is not in that we get what we want. The hope that we have is placed in God and that God's going to come through. And we say, you know what? Then if God made me this way, I'm going to trust that. That's the hope that I have. If God gave me a life that's more difficult on the front end than somebody else, then I'm going to trust that God's going to use that for His purpose. That if God gave me an easier life on the front end and gave me more blessings than I deserve, then I'm going to figure out how to use that and trust that the Lord is going to use that because He's my hope, not what I see, not what's right here always in front of me. And so we think about that and how you spend your money, how you spend your time. I was talking with my boys just the other day. I believe we're stewards. Stewards, I'm spitting all over the place. I'm glad we kept the front two. You're in trouble. I'm sorry, all right? Um, I believe we're all stewards. S-T-E-W-A-R-D. Stewards. That's a manager. And I believe we manage the resources that God has given us. That is our job. We don't own anything. We manage them. We manage the time. We don't control time. We learned that this week as a church. Guys, I sat in a, a meeting with Tim Shelton every Monday morning for about three hours for the last six years. That guy was as disciplined as they come in exercise, in eating. He was doing a half Ironman triathlon. I was with him at the Y last week, and he had biked like 40 miles and was swimming a mile or two miles or something like that at lunch. He controlled what he put in his body, and I'm not saying controlled like he ate, you know, had a cupcake in both hands. I'm saying like... He made sure he put good things in his body and he, he, he took care of his body. And just like that, the Lord called him home. Tim didn't control his time or own his time. We don't always own our, our money. We've got to use it the way that God wants us to. We don't always own our gifts and talents. We've got to use them. And so we're stewards of that. And so we've got to remember... We've got to remember that the hope we have is not placed in us and the things we have, but God. But here's what I love, and we'll be done with this, this last phrase. But do this with gentleness and respect. I think we miss this one sometimes. It's not about defending God or our story. They're both true no matter what. And sometimes when we get defensive, we get agitated, we get frustrated, And that begins to look like insecurity and doubt. Sometimes we begin to think that my defense of God is dependent on a a clever sounding argument. And then we stumble and we think we failed the Lord. It's not what the Lord says. The Lord says we should give a reason for the hope that we have. Give an answer and we should do that with gentleness and respect. With compassion and love. And kindness. Lindsay laughs at me. She says sometimes when I'm up in front of people, I have a mean face. I don't mean to have a mean face. I think it's just my resting face is what I've always used as an explanation. But here's the deal. If you talk to anybody that kind of knows me and does ministry with me, I, I love being around people. 
And I work really hard to make sure you guys have what you need to be equipped, to be taken care of. But here's the deal. If I do that and I don't show compassion and concern, then at the end of the day, you're like, eh, I don't really care, right? I mean, we've all had friends like that, right? They may do something for you, but they do it in a not nice way, and you're like, your heart wasn't even in it. And what it's saying here is he's saying, we need to show compassion and kindness to people, and that doesn't mean that we're accepting their sin. It doesn't mean that we think we're better than them. It just means that we have tasted and experienced the grace and mercy of God, and we want to do the same for others. Think about it. How many times have you gone to God and said, God, I'm sorry again for that thing that I've been struggling with that I I feel like I apologize every day. And then one of our friends hurts us, and what do we do? Find another friend. I'm not saying you condone when a friend breaks your trust, but when we treat believers and non-believers alike with gentleness and respect, the way that God treats us with compassion and gentleness and respect, all of a sudden, it's a little bit different. Think about, I want you to think just for a second, the, the prettiest place you've ever been. Think about that place, all right? I remember going to the Grand Canyon uh, probably about a year and a half ago, and I remember telling me, oh, it's amazing. Eh, I know it's the Grand Canyon. I'm supposed to think it's amazing, but I was not overly impressed, right? But now Bryce Canyon, how many of you have ever been to Bryce Canyon? Bryce Canyon's pretty amazing. And here's the deal. If I go to Bryce Canyon or whatever in your mind you're thinking right now is the prettiest place you've ever seen, are you thinking, oh, I don't want anybody else to ever see this. I want to keep this all to myself. Y'all are laughing because you're like, no, that's stupid, right? When somebody asked me, uh, one of our friends just went out west. She was asking, what do I see? I was like, oh, Bryce Canyon. You've got to go see Bryce Canyon. It's amazing, the colors and how they contrast. It's amazing, right? In the same way, when somebody asks us about the hope that we have, we should respect them enough and care about them enough to at least just tell them the truth and say, this is what I believe. We should care enough to say, hey, to ask good questions and say, when you're living in that, that lifestyle, that sin, that whatever, right? What are your thoughts? How, what, what, what's going on in your mind? What brings you happiness? What brings you peace? What brings you joy? Do you mind if I tell you what brings me peace? What brings me joy? That's respect. That's gentleness. That's caring enough about them, not just to say, hey, I have the answer that'll save us for all of eternity, but I'm going to keep it to myself. That's not gentleness and respect. Two minutes. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's the three takeaways I'll give you. And you, you may have any number of other takeaways from this. But when I read this passage, there's three things that I've kind of applied to my life. First of all, I've got to know what the Bible says. I've got to know the Word. I've got to know the Word. It tells us there. It says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone. I've got to know what I believe. When somebody says, what does the Lord mean? You need to know, what does it mean? I say Jesus is Lord and Savior. I should at least know what those words mean. And I'm not saying y'all don't just because you didn't answer, all right? But you know, there are times, and I, I've had this, um, I was talking with Grace Wade not long ago, and she said one of you young ladies, after a night she was talking, came up and said, hey, I need to know better how to share the gospel. I need to be prepared to explain who Jesus was when he walked the earth and what he did for us. you got to know the word. you got to know what you believe. 
Not only do you need to know the word, but you've got to learn to ask good questions. If we're going to be people that stand for truth in this world, we've got to learn how to ask people good questions. What brings you joy? I said that before. What brings you joy? What brings you peace? What do you believe happens after you die? How do you live your life? How do you handle death when you had this person in your family die? What does that mean for you? And learn not to do it in a judgmental way, but in a caring way. How to ask good questions. The other thing is we've got to love others the way that Christ loved us. You hear that all the time. But I go back to what Ferris said before. If you really understand how big God is, think back of what you are asking God to do in your life, of forgiving you, of loving you, of taking care of you, of blessing you. Do we love and treat others the same way? I firmly believe we are ambassadors for Christ because it says it in the Bible. That's why I firmly believe it. We're ambassadors. We are representatives of Him. So in other words, the way He treats us, we're supposed to represent that to others and stand for truth and be caring and compassionate. Skip on down to 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Peter is writing and reminding them, you've set apart Christ as Lord, but don't forget what Jesus Christ did for you. And I want to finish there tonight reminding you, because some of you, I'm talking about this confidence, I'm talking about this peace, I'm talking about this joy, I'm talking about this compassion, that you can stand up and say, this is why I believe what I believe and be okay that people don't agree with me. And some of you are going, I don't have that. I don't have that confidence. Peter's saying here, remember, Jesus was put to death. He took his sin and put that to death so that he could be alive for all of eternity with God. Alive in the Spirit. You don't get to pick. You don't get to be alive in the flesh and say, I'm going to live for what makes me feel good. I'm going to live for what's easy here. I'm going to live for the things I can see and live for what God wants, because if He's Lord, He's got to be control of all, right? He's got to be in control of all of it.